Hi, this is Better Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about The Turn of the Screw, which is Henry James' 1898 novella about possibly evil children, certainly an hysterical woman and a big old house. (laughs) So, Katie, why did you want to reread The Turn of the Screw? I wanted to reread The Turn of the Screw because Henry James is pretty much the shit and he constantly tops himself with everything that he writes. Yes. (laughs) So so we'll we'll talk about this more, I think, as the episode goes on. But his entire style of writing is like the way I knew he knew was he said he didn't know. And the way that I said (laughs) nothing told him everything he needed to know about what I knew. (laughs) And this whole novella is like, what? how did you get the thing? Oh, the thing you told me I needed to do. Oh, but the, the, how did you know? Because I knew. There's a lot of like, yes. So the, the, reason, the true reason that I love Henry James, and it comes out a lot in this, actually doesn't have to do with Henry James. It has to do with Nathaniel Hawthorne. My my boyfriend, Nathaniel Hawthorne. It always comes back to him for you, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. It does. (laughs) Um, But the thing, there's a part in this really weird Hawthorne novel uh, called The Marble Fawn, where this guy who may or may not be a statue, don't look into it, pushes another guy off of a cliff. And he then goes to the lady who he has ostensibly done this favor for and says, and she goes, why the fuck did you push that guy off a cliff? And he goes, well, your eyes bade me do it. And she agrees with him. She's like, oh, I guess my eyes did bait him do it. And, and that is like every, every, every single thing about Henry James. Like that, that is Henry James in a nutshell. Even though it's Hawthorne, it's James. I also took a seminar called Cooper, Hawthorne, and James. And yes, the professor did know this configuration makes no sense at all. Um, because because <laughs> Henry... <laughs> well because henry james is like practically british um right right he's like T.S. Small... T. Eliot, right like yeah. yeah yeah i forgot he was <laughs> yeah no i forgot he was a british um but to the small-minded you may think he is american um but much like everyone who studies abroad and likes it so so very much that they return with a fraudulent and insufferable british accent what Henry James teaches me is that I can be just a little fancier and better than other people in a way that makes me somewhat unlikable and distant. Yep. <laughs> Certainly true. Uh, yeah. That's As- what I strive for. Aspirations are important. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Silly ones. Um, okay, so I first read The Turn of the Screw in college, and I fell so in love with it um i'm also like katie i'm a henry james fan but my i'm just not as widely read but also that means all that means is that i haven't read quote late james which is like (laughs) the stuff that everybody gives a shit about right now um i guess that's the thing i don't know katie tell us about that at some point like why i should have read the golden bowl but haven't how long do you have to talk about a golden bowl? <laughs> I mean, I uh, I have a while, but not today. Um, <laughs> obviously, my boyfriend, to whom I'm always coming back, is William James, who is his brother. Um, 
his contributions to early psychology, which is kind of philosophy in the Freud idiom. Um, I love that guy. And uh, I'm interested in the debates around this book and the fact that it's taken as some kind of like test case in criticism, meaning like, what's really, what's really happening here? Is this a ghost story or is she <laughs> fucking with you or what, or whatever? And I love that. And even though all of us talking now take the position that like, well, they can't really mean anything because it's like a word. It's a, it's, it's a bunch of words. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't really mean anything. Anyway. Um, but there's like that there are so many possibilities of reading it is interesting to me. Um, and then this is like Benita Serino, an, a novella in the like technical way, meaning that it like takes from the tradition of the German novella. So like Hoffman and Kleist and those guys um, for the truly nerdy. And uh, that's that's cool. I love those books. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, you know, as a very much of historicist, I don't give a shit about the new critics um, mainly. But I but it is I I also get why they're into it. And I I do think that that's sort of like close kind of textual stuff that the new critics were super into works for this book in in a cool way. So I also um, think that there's something you could historicize it in a different way, which for me is that like thirties through fifties, new criticism is interested in 19th century stuff, you know, like for weird reasons. And so that's a different, you know, it's like, that's the critical history. Yeah. Which has a specific historical genealogy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I, that, that makes sense. Um, and yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, like I haven't read much Henry James at all. I, I think just in the in the cage. Uh, uh, and I think well, that was like so nine. Ni- yeah, it, it is. Yeah, no, that that that, that was eighteen ninety eight. So I think it was. I can't remember if it was right before, or right after Turn of the Screw. Um, but uh, that you know, and and that was a book that has some interesting things to say about class and gender and and technology. Uh, it's it's set in a telegraph office. <laughs> um, hey. um, and you know, like I, you know, I'm just a you know mar- Marxist. Uh, <laughs> I'm always down to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, and I feel like Turn of the Screw does maybe have some stuff to say about class and gender that's fairly central to it, but in ways that I haven't quite worked out yet. Um, and you know, this is my first read, so I'm. I'm really curious to hear your guys' opinion on it. Um, I, I've wanted to read more James for a long time. Um, you know, his, his biography is super interesting, as we mentioned, you know, with the whole Anglophile British American thing happening that is is pretty gross, but also fascinating. Um, and, and you know, given that he's one of the, you know, uh, supposed, I, I think this is true, founders of modernism, uh, I should just know more about that. You know, the, the late 19th century is kind of where my knowledge starts to slip. Um, and uh, no, I, I know you guys are, are stands and I, it's always fun to read things that at least one of the stands. Um, and I, I just want to reiterate, like as a parent and as any parent will tell you, children are deeply terrifying. They do creepy shit all the time. And I'm extremely down for stories about that. And I went on this reading. I, I was sort of like for the very rare circumstance, I was like, am I on the side of the kids? I know, right? Like, yeah. usually it's like, no, absolutely not. But on this one, it's like, I, I might be on the side of the kids, yeah. Like, I think she might be torturing them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, no. No, for sure. I, I will say I will say this. It's something that I, I forgot to say, but relates to what, Tristan, the point that you bring up about how fucking evil children are. The kids in this, in this 
in this story are like the uh, this tweet about a Mayor Pete ad because we can't stop roasting <laughs> Mayor Pete. Um, Who? But he the, disappeared. I, I know. <laughs> that the, motherfucker's coming back, I swear to God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he may, he may be. I mean, he, the, you can't. It's yeah. the problem with rats, right? They always come back. There's always more. <laughs> <laughs> Where there's one, there's thousands. Do you, know, do you know how many Mayor Pete's there are? Many Mayor's Pete? <laughs> Um, but the tweet, the tweet goes something like, um, "There's a, it's a boy and a girl, and they say like, we, I'm, I'm a girl and I am normal. I am a boy and I am normal. And then they look at each other and in unison say, we support Mayor Pete and we are normal. And like that, <laughs> like these are like children of the corn robot, like Mayor Pete. Yeah, yeah. Sweetie pies. Yeah. Oh, man. The only evidence I would say for coming down on the governor's side that these are like materialized spirits is that one of them has red hair and we know how I feel about gingers and that they're witches. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So congrats again on getting through Rob Roy with that phobia in mind. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I was able to maintain it because Rob Roy is not about Rob Roy. Exactly. That's right. It has almost nothing to do with Rob Roy. <laughs> it's about it's about uh, fail son Frank Toblerone. Uh-huh. Yeah, indeed it is. Um, would have really appreciated a heads up about that before we read Rob Roy, but that's okay. No big deal. We did it. So, I mean, I got a heads up about how dorky it is and I felt like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with that. I, as long as I know that it's fine. (laughs) So today we are going to be talking about the primary new critical question of whether this is the, the governess's deranged or there are actually ghosts here we're going to be talking about henry james style uh we're going to be talking about class and the relationships among the characters and that's mostly the stuff so katie can you give us the context for henry james and this 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 object well i can uh but as usual i won't (laughs) (laughs) I will just simply going to go off onto some other thing that I thought of three seconds ago and um, hope you like it. So, so there's a lot to talk about with Henry James. He's biographically super interesting. There's a lot of speculation about his sexuality. Mm-hmm. So um, his brother, for instance, like sort of casually said like, Oh, you're like a, you're like the 60 year old version. Um, Henry or William James said this right. about Henry James. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that happened with his, his family and his estate and his papers. So basically like they wanted to extract anything uh, that related to maybe some ambiguity about his sexuality. And the way that they did one way they acted as gatekeeper was by saying, which is a good policy always, nobody who's going to write a dissertation can ha- can touch this. <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. So if so if any of you fuckers uh, want to write a dissertation about this, no dice. <laughs> but to get to where we are with turn of the screw, uh, this is this is a late James, uh, an unusual little late James novella a lot of his other later stuff was very long like the golden bowl for instance is super super long one thing that the golden bowl and 
the turn of the screw have in common is that people have like sort of mean names. Like there's a woman, like there's a woman in the turn of the screw that's named Mrs. Gross. There's uh, a woman in the golden bowl called Fanny Assingham, which is (laughs) Fanny Assingham. So just, just get your, wrap your mind around that one. There's also, so like this was kind of Henry James's thing was doing these sorts of like shit shithead names. So he he did this is an incomplete list of Henry James's mean names. Henrietta Stackpole. Mm-hmm. Flata Vetch. <laughs> we have we have Fanny Assingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, we also have some cool names of places. So when he was trying to think of a name for a city in America, he just said, fuck it. It'll be American city. Nice. Yeah, it was, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. But one of the things that, um, that James, I think is, is doing there is like building in a kind of, a kind of ambiguity that's productive if you want to like jack off onto a term paper or that's productive if we want to like talk about um, the way things work on a literal or figural level. So like I love to read James as um, in the tradition of allegory because that's just, uh, you, you know, you ha- if you have a hammer, uh, everything looks like a nail. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that like that's where Henry James is at his most American at these moments where like we have something that you think should mean something, but actually maybe doesn't mm-hmm. like we, we don't know what Fanny Assingham means, except that we have like an ass and a fanny. <laughs> we have like characters named Adam uh, and Abel, but they don't really do too much of anything like Fanny Assingham also when she wants to kind of neg herself, she calls herself a double-eyed donkey. Um, <laughs> oh, the one of the most fun ones is Christopher Newman. Mm-hmm. Christopher mm-hmm. Newman. Right. Okay. Uh, that's a little better. Um, but just to say, like, that Henry James is really big on, in his writing... Uh, the way I think of it as like saving some kind of uncommitted space that, that is also packed full of meaning. Mm -hmm. So it's like saying way too much too directly and also telling you nothing you don't know. It's like when somebody wants to tell you about their dreams, like nobody, but, but this is a thing you can get really sort of wrapped up in. And so I, so I think that's less, less context and more like this is this is sort of how we can think about Henry James as an American author. I don't know if anybody really I don't know how how much we are invested in that or care about it, but he is in a way he's he's a modernist writer, so certainly like yes as Tristan said like on the edge of that. Yeah. And at the same time he's doing this anachronistic throwback shit to this like allegorical tradition that's rooted in religious writing and thought. Yeah. And and like that's a late Victorian thing too to me, right? Like, and, and it it does feel very different. Well, certainly, like you know, like with like Hemingway's prose is so fucking sparse. Um, you know, Fitzgerald too. I mean, like less than Hemingway, but too to a degree. Um, but like, yeah, they're like uh, actually, there's a way in which uh, uh, James reminds like he's a better version of this 
of this writer named George Meredith, who like if you never taken a class like a graduate class in 19th century literature, you probably don't even <laughs> know who that is. But like he just like this, like these ponderous, like chapters long, like reflections or like I remember the, the Meredith novel I've read. It's like it's called On Diaries and Diarists. And like basically <laughs> the whole chapter is just kind of about gossip. And yet it takes like 30 fucking pages of like, you know, carefully like thinking through all of these different character positions. Like there is a richness with James in that way, too. Like I'm thinking the opening of this novel, all that framing story with this Douglas guy, the foul narrative that ultimately you're like, this has like almost no relationship to the story at all. And yet I I think the main difference between James and like George Meredith is like James is actually kind of fun to read that. (laughs) Like it's good. It's good. (laughs) But but it does like it feels like that is kind of an of its moment sort of thing in a way that I don't quite know what that's doing in the genre of the novel this time, but I agree that it does feel like a throwback thing in some way, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. There's something throwbacky about it. And I think there's, so, so again, one kind of tool we can use that doesn't look like it should work um, is that if you think about like the way medieval writers thought about allegory, it's actually helpful because mm-hmm. they thought of it as having, like the four levels. So there's the literal mm-hmm. or historical, the allegorical or spiritual, the tropological or moral, mm-hmm. and the analogical or mystical. Hmm. Okay. So like Henry James is not doing, so he's doing the literal. He may not, like, I don't know. He may be doing the spiritual. He may be experimenting more with it in this novel than any other. Mm-hmm. He's not really interested in the moral, but he's definitely interested in the analogical and by extension, the mystical. And I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. I think you're going to have to explain that more as we go. Cause I, it's just like, so out of my wheelhouse that I'm like, what are these categories? Well, but, but I think one thing too, it, uh, yeah. And I also, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, it, this is out of my wheelhouse too, but, but one thing like I, it is making me think is that like, you know, by the late 19th century, the novel is at a, is at a place where you can start to like do weird shit with it. Not that like earlier writers didn't like, you know, I mean, Lauren Stern famously, but you, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's like, okay, like the realist novel is kind of so like, it, it, you know, it's so mature. It's so instantiated that it's like. Yeah, well, what if we just like fucking drift out of this and like really dive deep into these kind of allegorical functions around it? You know, what if we like start to, in a way that, you know, like James Joyce certainly would really trouble like what it means to kind of like narrate consciousness, you know, like, so, yeah, so I, I just like, I don't know, like that, that to, I always try to historicize for, but that's, I guess that's something that I'm kind of thinking through, you know. I mean, like, the, yeah, so this is a, I hope this is on topic, but like, Katie, are you also sort of saying that like uh, it's a mind fuck in the sense that when I see the castle, it's not the castle of the mysteries of Udolpho, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, there's the signifier I've been looking for, and then mm-hmm. it, he, what he does is like eh, it's kind of a mind fuck. Like you shouldn't be looking for the gothic in in the like sense that you can really do much with that, but it's not not there. It's there in this way that somebody else is looking for the, like, how gothic is it if somebody else is wondering whether they're in a gothic story? Right. That's, oh, oh, okay. So if she identifies it as Mysteries of Udolpho, then we have to be suspect that she knows that she's in a gothic novel. I think so, because, like, for instance, 
if you want to listen to the Dracula episode, the story I, I tell a tale of shame and almost pooping my pants outside a mental institution. <laughs> the thing, the thing about that is like, anytime you start thinking like, am I in a scary movie? You're about to tip into comedy. Oh, like, for you're, sure. You're, yeah, you're just about to. And there's something about this too that's like, it's not funny. But there is something of the of the hysterical laugh to yeah, it. Yeah, and, totally. and and you could also totally see uh, a way in which this same narrative or m- much of the same narrative could very much be written comedically. You know what I mean? It's like there there's there's a proximity there. Certainly, yeah, and, and so also just to circle back to to Megan, your question about like what the fuck I was getting at <laughs> uh, with the with the like layers of stuff. Here's here's a the most simple way I think I'm trying to like figure it out is that I think about James as a as a like a modernist and a realist. Oh. And 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 so cuz it's like it's it's like psychological realism or something. There's something to that. One could say. Right, but he also has these sentences that are like Oh shit! Like that they go in places that you know George Eliot would never write sentences like that, right? Because I don't think it's a realism of the uh, of the world. I think it's like of the mind. Okay. Okay. And so, and so the point, if the the point there is sort of like, if we have some kind of psychological realism, there are all these moments that puncture the surface of it. And not just for the characters, they puncture the surface of it to like say it's a book. Like Fanny right. Assingham, no one names their kid Fanny Assingham. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, they do not. I hope. <laughs> so, uh, Katie, tell us what happens in this novella. So much happens in this novella, The Turn of the Screw. It starts with this anonymous narrator who has is almost no function, and he is recollecting a Christmas Eve. A Christmas Eve gathering at an old house uh, where guests listen to one another's ghost stories. And they're all a bunch of real uh, pip-pip cheerio types. <laughs> and they're like, oh, do tell us a ghost story. It shall moisten our undergarments a good deal. <laughs> and then uh, it turns out that um, that we do get the story. And we get the story from a dude named Douglas who... Wants to tell us about his sister's governess, who he had several dignified erections over. Thank you very much. <laughs> but he, but he's over it, and it's fine. So the governess has written a story about this really dope job she found on LinkedIn. It's a benevolent hot uncle who has taken in his niece and nephew, and yet he doesn't really fuck with kids. So he needs a governess. And he's like, listen... You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and I mean, whatever you want. Lord of the Flies rules. I just, <laughs> but he says, I don't want to hear shit about it. Never call me. Day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't call me. New phone. Who's this? Yeah. The whole, the whole nine yards. Wow. Which I, I have to say, just in the interest of, you know, like labor and, uh, and worker rights, um, do not take this job. <laughs> do not fucking take this job (laughs) (laughs) well you're about to be interviewed for this job at the end of this episode so we'll see if you get it okay it pays good yeah yeah the money the money is good the haunting is less good Mm -hmm. so the governess gets to this house and she meets this little girl named flora 
And she's like, damn, I'm weirdly obsessed with this kid. And the lady who had my job before me died. Better not think too far into it and protect the child. (laughs) Yeah. And then she meets Miles, who's Flora's brother. He got kicked out of school for mysterious reasons. And it's not like fun Zach Morris got kicked out of school. We're not in Saved by the Bell. This is like very sinister. (laughs) The governess also has one friend whose name is Mrs. Gross. And she's also the maid. And she is figuring out whether Miles could be a little shithead. And Mrs. Gross is like, no fucking way. He is, he's bad to the bone, but like in a fun little boy way and not in like a bad, bad way. He's just a rapscallion or however you would say it. He's, he's a rapscallion, but that, that's a full blown lie. This kid is no rapscallion. Uh, which she finds out when she picks Miles up at the train station. And uh, she doesn't quite realize yet that she's taken the fastest choo-choo to fucked up city, but in fact she has. <laughs> because she starts seeing these mysterious ghosts and having staring contests with them. This is absolutely true. Arm wrestling with ghosts is the way that I usually choose to go, but she did staring contests and that's fine. <laughs> it turns out that these ghosts are Peter Quint, who was a valet found dead with his head all fucked up, mm-hmm. and Miss Jessel the governess before the current governess, whose ghost the current governess hastens to point out is hot. And then we get the whole whole sort of nut of the story, which is that Peter Quint, according to Mrs. Gross, has been too free with everyone, she -hmm. says, Mm -hmm. including the children and including everybody else who works there. And the suggestion is that he's been doing something adult with the children. And it suggests molestation, but never suggests it. And Mrs. Gross also says that Miss Jessel is sort of in on it in some unclear way, that somehow she wanted it, and that definitely something is fucked up about her, even though she is a lady, unlike Peter Quint, mm-hmm. who is not a gentleman. Who looks like an actor. That's what the governor says. Who looks like an actor and also like they she can apparently tell from a distance too far to shout that he's not fancy. Right. Mm-hmm. He's not wearing a hat. He looks shabby. So the so the governess decides that the ghosts of these two want the children, and she keeps referring to the children as hers. Mm-hmm. And then they play this whole game about like uh, do the kids know I know about the ghosts? Are they trying to keep me from knowing who knows what and what knows who? And then things start to get really intense uh, right after they get chill, which is when things always get intense. So the governess sees the ghost of Peter Quint on the stairs and challenges him to a staring duel. <laughs> and she wins that that round. And then she goes to find Flora, the little girl, and she's like, what the fuck? You're not in your bed. And she realizes that she's hiding behind the curtains like a little shithead. <laughs> and she tries to figure out what she's doing, sort of to no avail. Yeah. Which, which I want to say that, I mean, kids, that that is absolutely something kids will do. You know, just uh, uh, the, the most creepy or annoying thing in any given situation like um i can't tell you how many times when like my kid was younger uh like you know putting him down for the night that i would think he was asleep and i would look over at him and he would just be like sitting up bright-eyed staring at me with a grin on his face in the dark so (laughs) So, megan you megan get get ready for that that's gonna happen to you yeah i mean thus far she's not 
she doesn't have the consciousness to be creepy. Yeah, no, that 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 comes. That comes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. It's I think is this the part, Katie, remind me when Flora she says she says, Oh, you weren't in your bed, and Flora says, Well, you weren't in your bed. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Yep. It, it's a lot of I know you are, but what am I out of these kids? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. So things go wildly off the rails at this point in a way that is is very startling. So so she starts seeing so the governess starts seeing these ghosts everywhere and the children start to behave a bit strangely. So Miles for instance, he's like bolts out into an open field like I did many times when I was a drunk freshman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when they finally catch him he says he wanted to show that he could be bad, mm-hmm. which is which is a kid thing, but also it's a a, a wee a wee bit creepy because mm-hmm. he's like, when I'm bad, I'm really bad. Yeah, <laughs> I am like real fucked up, and then he takes a drag out of off a sig, and it's yeah, <laughs> puts his leather jacket on. She also uh, the governess is so freaked out. Whenever she's freaked out, she uses an excuse to skip church, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. So finally, she's seen so many ghosts that she's just like, I got to I got to go. I got to I got to jet. Um, I can't sit in this ghost infested house another day. And um, so she's she's sort of like wandering around and she sees she does see Miss Jessel, her predecessor in the in a room that uses a classroom. And um, she screams her fucking head off at it and the ghost goes away so she has some unusual ghost uh ghost handling strategies but they do seem to get the job done (laughs) and finally even though uh even though she's agreed not to write to the dude who hired her she decides like i'm gonna i'm gonna do it now because this is bananas and pajamas there's a lot of like a lot of hugging a lot of a lot of hysterical hugging of the children um, a lot of hysterical hugging of each other by Mrs. Gross and the governess. There is, and so finally, she she points out this ghost to the little girl and to Mrs. Gross, and they're like, "I don't say anything." <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and Flora, the little girl, gets really pissed and says, "Like fuck you, get away from me!" And the governess sort of collapses into a fit and mrs gross is then left to kind of take care of her and that's and that's about it and she takes uh she takes flora with her and she leaves miles and the governess together and it turns out that this letter that she wrote to her boss who doesn't want to hear any letters the Miles confesses to having taken it. Um, and then there's more ghosts, more ghosts, more ghosts. <laughs> and she's looking at the ghost and she says, Hey, Miles, is do you see anything there? Do, what do you see, buddy? What do you see, little guy? <laughs> and so he looks out the window, screams, and passes out dead. Yep. <laughs> and that's how it ends, folks. <laughs> and we don't get the other side of the frame, I will note. 
<laughs> no, we don't get the other side of the frame. We don't get Douglas being like, wasn't that an amazing story of no, we don't. thrills uh, and chill? No, just al- over. Although uh, my wife and I watched the just watched the 2009 BBC turn of the screw, um, which is terrible. Uh, and <laughs> among, among other things, we're going to talk a little bit about whether this is all real or supposed to be in her head in the story and the interesting ways uh, James constructs that question. No, the film's just like, oh, no, she crazy. <laughs> and, oh. and, and like they have her dragged off to like a, a mental institution at the end of it. Um, and also it's it's set during World War One rather than the 1840s. Which oh. is, sure. Why? Well, but you, you would think like, well, that they, they must have a reason for that change. And so they don't. Not at all. So. Yeah. Play fast and loose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do whatever you want, I guess. Adaptations are their own gig. Yeah. Yeah. Although um, adaptations of Henry James are always a little like, huh? <laughs> um, you can't really. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't um, work great. The plots are mostly staring and looking and thinking. That's true. So this is like the the most... I don't mean fundamental, but this is like the question everybody asks when you take it, when you read this in college, which is like, is it real or not? Which again, it's like, it's not real to novel novella, but like, is the, is the primary narrative here, woman in high grade hysteria tortures two little kids by saying ghosts, 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 or are there creepy ghosts showing up all the time that the kids are like, no, nah, I don't see that. And then she thinks that she's unreliable. And what yeah. is the, I don't know. Like what's the evidence for either one or like, what does this have to do with like James writing? Right. Uh, so I think, so I think here's, here's what I want to uh, say to just let out a huge, a huge fart. Um, into the mood of the podcast. Um, I think that it actually has to do with, I think that the trauma of the kids is real Mm. and that it is somehow tangible. Uh, Real, you know what I mean by real, not real, real. But that in fact, there is like some kind of something that she's reacting to the fact that these kids have like, have a pretty blank affect. They're sort of fucking around. They're sort of nervous. Like stuff is happening with them and some fucked up shit definitely happened at the house. Like, so is the question, are these ghosts like Casper the friendly or is it that like, are the, is the question like, is there some kind of spirit residue? Right. Mm. And well, and yeah, and I like, I like that too, because like, to me, I mean, it, it is like a stylistic and, you know, narrative, uh, narratively interesting question about like, okay, so is this supposed to be a psychological drama within her head or is this, you know, like, oh, the, like ghosts are real, something like that. But like, cause what you just said, it almost makes her, it makes this character like sort of a conduit for the, for try like for, for a lot of like fucked up shit that is clearly happening in this house. I mean, and going all the way back to like the, the, the Harley street gentleman you know the guy that she's like oh wow this guy's hot it's kind of weird though um that they like never bother me about these kids that i've like inherited that's fucking weird right i mean like that that in and of itself is troubling it kind of sets the mood so so right so that like it it, you know if we think of it less as like 
you know, narrating an individual psychological question and more is how like the individual individual psychology butts up against um, circumstance and social structures and, and like the domestic. I think that 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 to me makes it kind of more conceptually interesting. I also just I think like I think if you mean if you had to ask knee jerk reaction, are these real ghosts that look like, you know, uh, kind of transparent versions of the people. Hell yeah, they're real ghosts to me. Right. Um, to Henry James, I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that, so the, the, what I think the story is doing with the ghosts is saying something like, um, it's actually directing your attention. So when the oh. governess starts putting all of her, all of her attention obsessively on the children and, and protecting them as opposed to, and she's like, they'll see, they'll see the ghosts. What if they see them? Mm. And I have to act as, a, she says, I, I need to act as a screen. The more I see, the less they see. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so she attaches herself to their psyche in this way that doesn't quite make sense. And that doesn't quite track with the way that like distinct human beings work. Right. Right. Because it doesn't guarantee if you see if you you seeing something doesn't guarantee that someone else hasn't seen it. Right. Um the the problem is not that um it's that she starts obsessing on the trauma that she'll never really be able to know anything about but yet she thinks she has facts about and information and evidence. Right. And that's what she says. She's like I would have lost my mind had I not found proof mm-hmm. and be- right. become terrified at, at that at a thing I knew was real. Right. Right. So she uses their trauma to shore up her own uh, her own claims about her mental state. Yeah. And so how does she uh, I'm not clear on how she accesses that they're traumatized. By the, so she, she asks, um, it's the conversation with Mrs. Gross actually oh, okay. is, is how it happens. She says, um, she's the one who says that Peter Quint was too free okay. with everyone and oh. that she, and that, and that then she becomes terrified that he will, corrupt and his presence has corrupted and infected the innocence of the children right Mm -hmm. now i remember that yeah and that's that's the question when she says he's too free that we i think james would allow us to take that in a number of ways yeah yes yeah 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 right yeah and i mean one of which would be class which i think we'll talk we we might talk about later but but i but no i also think that like you know so the, the the um Mrs. Gross is, uh, you know, when when the governor starts saying like, "Hey, they're the these spirits are back," right? I mean, she's well, she's well. First of all, she's the one who like when the governess gives the description of the ghost in the tower, it's like, "Oh my God, that's Peter Quint. This horrible thing happened to him." And so, like, other the, up until the moment when the governess sees the um, the ghost of Mrs. Jessel on the lake and the, and Mrs. Gross doesn't see it. Like that's the moment at which uh, she's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What are, the fuck are you talking about? But before that, she's been very kind of like willing to go along with like what the governess is saying. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there might be like a class claim there too, that like, Oh, you know, she's the housekeeper. She doesn't, you know, appear to be really educated at all. Like she, you know, she's not literate. 
but I also think that like, you know, she, part of why she's going along with this is because like she saw a bunch of fucked up shit happen at this house. You know what I mean? Like it's, so the, yes. I, the idea that these two and particularly Peter Quint are back haunting the place does not seem out of the realm of possibility to Mrs. Gross. And I think precisely because she has this prehistory, uh, access to this prehistory of what's transpired here. Yes, mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's the literal exact thing of like when people talk about like oh I saw an old I saw an old man at that in the urinal at the bar and he was wearing old timey clothes. Yeah, that's the that's the ghost of of Jim Magoo. He's been <laughs> dead for forty years. Yeah. Like it's it's like that exact joke. But but the reason why that like why that works is. It could have just been a guy taking a piss, yeah. but if you know the bar is haunted, yeah. you're going to say it's the ghost of so and so. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, it's like if you, if you don't if you don't know the ghost is uh, the bar is haunted, then you're like, oh, like look at that fucking twee cosplayed weirdo, right? <laughs> Whereas if it's like haunted, it's like, oh my god, that wasn't a hipster, that was a ghost, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Mutton chops in this day and age, yeah, 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 yeah. it must be. A ghost. That is not ironic facial hair. That's 19th century <laughs> That's facial, hair. facial hair. that's sincere facial hair but doesn't she also show up at a 10 in terms of her i don't know i feel like all of her obsession with these kids is i don't know if it's evidence that there's like ghosts or not ghosts but she she's a 10 from from day one oh she's a 10 all right She's horny to do a good job because she's into the guy who doesn't want any – her employer doesn't want any information. Yes. And and so so the way things kick off that's the weird part to me is that she's like, I'm going to do a better job than the dead lady. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to show everyone. I'm twice the woman a dead lady is. Right, right, right. But who is she showing? Is she showing Flora? Like what's the thing that she's trying to do? Or is it just like because she is – Oh, she's she's a little wacky. <laughs> she's a little keyed up. That's what I mean, like, yeah. She's a little keyed up. Well, she's also like, if I'm really silent, if I'm so silent and I never say a word, then then I will be, and I never make any trouble, then I will have been the most excellent employee in all the land, even if there are, even if this is a ghost infested hellscape with children who need, desperately need therapy. Right. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and she also, like, so I'm trying to figure out, like, why why does she pick the ghost she picks? Like, why does Peter Quint in particular show up? That's a great question. We know why Miss Jessel does, at least I think I do, yeah. which yeah. is that it's, like, the version of her that she's like, I'm better than this bitch. And also she's really mad that she perceives Flora and Miss Jessel as being like buddies. Yes. Right? Because she mm-hmm. thinks Flora sees her at that scene on the lake. Right. Yeah. So, And that's I, a whole drama that's like, I think, a major scene in the book. Yes. I will say, I, I, I just said that I hated that 2009 BBC adaptation, but I think the one thing that it did make me think a little bit differently about, or like, oh, you know what, I kind of want to go back and re- read back through this, is that the suggestion there is that Mrs. Jessel is as victimized or almost as victimized by Quint 
as the children and other people are so mm-hmm. so that like there there was some that they had some, had some kind of sexual relationship but they turned very violent um that is not at all like in the text itself but i did wonder if like oh you know what maybe that maybe that would be an inter like just like could we find evidence for that kind of reading right that like that like quint is the like the 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 really kind of aggressively malevolent spirit and, but mrs jessel is kind of much more like ambivalent although i i don't i mean like what you guys, what you just said, Maggie, like I, 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 when I read it, I kind of thought that it did have to, it was like this kind of like competitive thing with the new governess and like about the love of the girl, not that she was like, she was like the victimized spirit versus the kind of like victimizing spirit, but I could be wrong. I mean, she's super jealous. And so it's just like, maybe what I'm trying to get toward is that like, she's producing some kind of meaning on these ghosts that the text is like, you're going in an awfully weird direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part like she's having fucking staring contests with him and she's being like a mean girl about the dead governess. Yes, she is. Right. She also does this thing. I think this is what Katie, you were pointing out before where she produces this whole, I don't know if it's like a plan or how you want to put it, but she has this whole logic of how ghosts work. So she's like, oh, I'm going to like stare them down or I'm going to like pretend they're not there. She does all this weird shit that's like she thinks that's how you handle ghosts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, there, there's also like so there so there are actually so to me, there are like three options in this in this book. And um so one is to deal one is the elaborate theory involving actual ghosts and whether or not the governess's understanding of ghosts is 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 what it is whatever. So there's it's either ghosts, she's making it up or the first time I read it I was like these fuckers are just walking around like they're just live people and it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that she perceives them to be the she thinks it's Quint but it's some other guy. Or that it is we don't know how do we know Peter Quint is dead? Oh yeah. What's his, what's her face says he has like fallen down a hill and knocked his block off or whatever, but we don't know that. Huh. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So we're getting our information. we're always getting mediated information. Right. And it also says the governess the governess disappeared right. and then it turns out she was dead. I can't say anything more. Right. And, and and also too that like I, I do like I, it's like in literature like oh you find an unreliable narrator it's only that's the key to everything <laughs> but it is, but it is like the fact like what like even if we want to read them as real as like real and scare quotes ghosts like the question of her own kind of like sanity and mental state is like so prominent that I don't think that we you know what like I think that always has to be part of the reading and like once we like since this is a very first person kind of narrative I think. Once we are not sure, like the information that we're getting from the narrator, that that it's almost like a house of cards starts to collapse, right? It's like mm-hmm. how can we know anything? Like how, like we the, the media, the 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 governess is the point of mediation between us as readers and this like fictional world. If we have no confidence in that intermediate point, then you know what I mean. It's like where, like, what the fuck can we actually deduce about what's happened here? You know. Mm-hmm. I also I will say this as we talk about her her mental state which is total like her mental state insanity is totally like a huge question of the criticism and of the story for good good reason it's also like okay so did she is it in fact a very natural response 
to being essentially left alone in the care of children in a place that's totally unfamiliar and in a situation that is disquieting. You know, the person who came before you died. And and the terror of it and the terror of dealing with it has has compromised her perception, if not her mind. And that her boss says, never talk to me, right? Like it's, it's yes. explicitly isolated. It, it, it's like it's like yeah. The Shining if Stephen King had actually made that a good story, right? Where it's like <laughs> – where the terror is like, okay, it's like you're in this space of iso- – in, in that story, this space of isolation like the, that that really starts to kind of affect your entire perception of reality and, and that that is like the real source of the horror. Not, and then so like the ghost narrative is this thing that then gets constructed psychologically to make sense of that. Like I, like, I kind of feel it right that it's like yeah it's like she's put in this situation she's like she's if not directly observing at least feeling all of this tension and Mm -hmm. past trauma and so then that that starts to like produce her whole perception of of the world right yes and she is desperate always to merge with everyone like she wants to be like immediately she's like mrs gross and i like we have this understanding we made this pact we've like we are in this together it's us but in fact, like, that's not really how things play out. She's mm-hmm. kind of like pulling information out of her. And the way that she does it makes the information suspect. And it's also the same with the kids. It's this thing where she wants to merge with them, but she finds herself being feeling really isolated by that desire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, what is the story there? Like what? Okay, so if we think about the book structurally, mm-hmm. what does that help us see about her? I don't know her mental life. Is that the right way to put it? Which which doesn't take a side. Yeah, her representation of her. Oh, because she fucking wrote. You know, like that's the other thing too, right? She's the yeah. writer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and I think so. Like one thing that I noticed as I was reading this is like there, like there, the, the chapters are like fairly. I don't know, like sort of self contained. I guess. They're, well, they're very short. It's got like twenty four short chapters in a book that itself not very long but like it just like skips all of these fucking details between chapters right so like when when uh katie when you gave us a summary you mentioned uh like the when miles is out on the lawn being all creepy kid right and so that this is the end of chapter 10 like she looks at then uh then then yeah so this is the end of chapter 10 um the moon made the night extraordinarily penetrable and showed me on the lawn a person diminished by distance who stood there motionless and as if fascinated looking up to where I had appeared, looking, that is, not so much straight at me as at something that was apparently above me. There was clearly another person above me. There was a person on the tower, but the presence of the lawn was not in the least what I had conceived, and I had sufficient and conveniently uh, hurried to meet. The presence of the lawn, I felt sick as I made it out, was poor little Miles himself. Ah! Chapter ends. Chapter 11 picks up. It was not till late the next day that I spoke to Mrs. Gross. So it's like we don't we don't get <laughs> right. like her confronting Miles. We don't get what Miles said. We, we like she does then sort of like report the incident to Mrs. Gross, but it's already because it's at several hours removed. And just like in terms of writing it, like there there's no you know what like there doesn't seem to be a real reason to like skip that far ahead. Other than like, I think that opens a space of like what is happening like mentally with the governess, yeah. like what what's happening in that time lag to like how like how she it be how she feels the scene versus then how she like retells it later. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, and yeah, and when she when she's retelling it later, she's retelling it and also always mining for info. Oh yes, yeah, for sure. Yes, yeah. 
But like, there's a lag there, right? Which is like we can take to be when is she, you know, like she's got to come up with a story. It's not just a thing she saw. It has to have a particular kind of like meaning. And that's, again, like Katie, that you said is just like we reading Henry James kind of go like, oh, I'm looking for this this degree of signification that's always going to be like not available to me. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that that unavailable degree of signification that she wants is is the is the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. Especially because yeah. she's always trying to confirm it in these awfully, like, these crazy oblique ways, right? Yes. So she's yeah. like, oh, you oh, saw it. I saw it. Did you see the <laughs> thing that I said I saw? Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing is it's all, like, this is all, uh, she's taking a page right out of the, illegal inter- and unethical interviewing tactics that cops use. Right. Yeah. Because she's like suggesting the thing and then like not stopping until she gets the answer she wants. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so like maybe just at the level of style like that. Yeah. Like it, 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 it opens this gap that can then be filled in with like details that she's gone mining for. And can then she can rearrange those details in a way that kind of, suits the sort of mental narrative that she's building about what is happening. Right. Cause it's confirming right. the thing that she believes to be true. Right. Yes. And she does it the most, I mean, she does it with Mrs. Gross. She does it with everybody, but it's really weird. And it can conf- like, I really think that this woman is a terrible child abuser. <laughs> I think that she is, I think she's ill-equipped to deal with the responsibilities of taking care of kids, period. Yeah, yes. yeah I think that's true. But when she does this thing with kids, it's a mind fuck in a way that's like really bad. Yeah. Yeah, because she's obsessed with, because she's so obsessed with the mystery that she doesn't see any of the, uh, she can't, she can't, for she can't see the, the kids because she's so obsessed with screening them she like you look in the opposite direction when you're doing that right. like you don't stand as a barrier between somebody else and say like i'm standing between you and this thing i'm looking at well then the thing you fucking can't see is the thing you think you're shielding mm-hmm. right okay so it's that she's only looking you know rhetorically speaking in the direction of the ghost so she can't actually read the kids as kids I think I I think that I mean I think she is it, the whole obsession about what happened and not about and, and no concern about what's happening absent of the the ghost shit mm. like she's obsessed with the old governess she wants to know about the ghosts she wants to know about what um like possibly shady shit happened in the past um but I yeah, but the kids are blank slates. So mm-hmm. partly this is like okay, this is weird. Stop me when I go completely off the rails. A mistake that I've made is read them as though they're psychologically motivated children. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, who fucking knows if the kids are? If we're gonna talk about what's real, those kids don't seem real to me. Right, by I know. The way. That's a reading problem that maybe I have then, right? Because I read too much of what Maisie knew, and so I think like Henry James. <laughs> is more than capable of thinking that children are like people right right so if i'm like poor miles and like what the what the fuck is this woman doing to this kid yeah 
Well, okay. And so like, like, can I, like another sort of like, just, you know, like kind of language thing that I noted, what the fuck that I think goes directly to this. What the fuck is up with Miles is like preternaturally adult language, right? Like he, he like, you know, he, he plays, he plays, it takes the governess by the arm and like refers to her as like my dear all the time. Like he says he wants to go back to school. She's like, well, why do you want to go back to school? He's like, well, I want to see more of life. Just the kind of shit that like an eight year old or a seven year old would never fucking say. Yeah. Like. But an eight-year-old who's been hanging out with an adult intensely, yes. that's how they would – like, that's what the fucking weirdness is. And, and that's, that's what that's – why, that's why I wanted to ask that. I mean, I think we see uh, several things there. One, uh, you know, I mean, I think that itself applies abuse, you know, whether it be by Quint, uh, the governess, both at the same time I think could be there. Um, but also the unreality of the children, that like her picture of them is sort of like – you know, like, yeah, even like maybe we don't want to read them as like real at all. But you know what I mean? That so it's like she like the reason like Miles's speech doesn't match a child's speech is because he's not, you know, like he whatever the fuck Miles is. It's kind of like all happening within this character's head. You know, I just I don't know. And it's not it's it's you can't really make anything of it, but it's not coincidental that both of the kids names are nouns. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, right. That's cool. So, I mean, <laughs> the, like, like, you can't really, you can't make anything of what their oh. names are, but. Yeah, but that's what, like, one of those details that you were talking about, right? That's like one of those, it's James is like, is this a key that they're Miles and Flora? I don't know, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but they are, she's concerned that they're super precocious and maybe that's yeah. part of it too. And I wonder yeah. if that like precocity is more like that what you say katie is like they have these creepy relationships are those creepy relationships like um about sexual abuse is it about like uh that they actually have not really been raised you know like they've sort of been raised by a governess but their parents died i think in india right Mm -hmm. yeah so they they've been through some shit and the way that they've been brought up is like very uneven Yes. Well, they've also been shoved. I mean, if we think it's hard for a a grown woman to be shoved into the countryside in this weird house, what is it that kid like that the, the children have been put there? Yeah. Right. And then you expect them to be able to like confirm your perceptions about things, and also then to have this oscillation between oh, I think that I think that Miles was touched inappropriately or like this isn't said but it's like the two choices that she gives them are touched as in molested or touched as in like by the hand of god they're perfect innocence right Mm -hmm. and those two choices are both fucked up right yeah right and she's still like go i mean but they're they're being traumatized is something that she's like sort of sympathetic to but most and of course she wants to shield them but also it's about like I own them. And so their trauma has to be on my terms. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I define it as being because like the thing that she thinks that she's like, these are my children. And as soon as she shows up, she's like, Flora is gorgeous. She is the perfect, perfect child. And so she is mine, which like day one. Right. Yes. Oh, there is the creepiest, creepiest quote. Uh, Do you remember this quote about her blue eyes? 
I don't know. Um, I mean, I remember the one where she gets out of bed and she says like her pink toes and her golden hair, which I was like, don't look at her toes, you creep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that that's that I forgot about that. I, I mind I blanked that. Um, <laughs> it's it's so what she said. It's it's a little later than that. And she says something like I looked into her eyes and I didn't want to suggest that there could be some precocity there that was somehow inappropriate or tainted oh. because I don't like what that says about me to look in eyes like that, that I would ever think anything but nice thoughts. Right. Then yeah. she and Mrs. Gross have versions of that conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. And then they like honk boobs and cry. Like <laughs> that's all like this poor Mrs. Gross, yeah. like this, this governess is always falling upon her bosom. Yeah, yeah. she is. Yeah, 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 and 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 that like that is a really fascinating relationship, and I think one reason why I am fascinated by it is that I like and, you know something that's been implicit in a lot of stuff we've been talking about, but is like the class dynamics of this book, which I can't quite oh, figure yeah. out, right? Like, so I mean, the, yeah, like there there is a bit. So okay, so like the governess is the daughter of a parson, right? So like in you know modern terms with these middle class like kind of petty bourgeoisie sort of like and, and uh, you know it, it, you know depending on like th there's a whole pay scale in the church of england right so like being a parson could mean anything from like quite wealthy to like very you know not not at all like kind of just starting out but like it, but she's been educated you know i mean she's obviously educated you know because she's she's a, she's a teacher uh, mrs gross which we learned early on because she's like basically she asked her to read a letter right and mrs gross like i mm, can't read, can't read. So, so there's this power differential between them like mrs gross is solidly of like the working classes um although you know as a as a young kind of working woman i think you know the governess there's a question about like how we would like to read that but yeah so i there is a class dynamic happening there and there's also a class dynamic between the servants and the children. Like, I mean, I, I, mm -hmm. I do think that like, yeah. I do think that like the implication is that Quint is abusive, but there's also, I think a way you could read that. And like the source of discomfort is like, Oh, well, Miles was always hanging out with this servant and that wasn't okay. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, like, it's did, not did just you that he's a servant. He's a social climber. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or however um, we want to call that. That seems like a weird, the, that's a weird expression to use, but yeah. he, he, aspires above his class that we think is going to be okay yeah and yeah and and it's it's the like mrs gross is a, an incredibly ambiguous figure for those reasons mm -hmm. because she one would think would aligns more with peter peter quint mm -hmm. um but in fact she's the one who puts who puts uh like who accuses him of uh, of a heinous act, sort of like not really o obliquely, yeah. and and preserves and, and says that the only reason why Miss Jessel was awful and evil and corrupt was because of her association with him and how how the fact that she liked it, mm -hmm. right? Because he can get one over on anybody. He's a Oh, this is a funny thing. It's actually like a totally familiar 19th century trope, right? It's like the confidence, confidence man. man. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, too, the absence of the like the sort of like class authority figure, the the, the Harley Street gentleman, right, who like just wants nothing to do with this. There, there's like the, the, the children are the only kind of like, um, you know, whether one thing the most aristocratic or like kind of upper bourgeoisie. They're the only figures in this house that, that have that class position. Right. Everyone else is a servant. And so like there's something about like Quint's like 
yeah, like class, like sort of like class aspirations or like kind of class mobility, you know, attempts at class mobility, right? That it's like, well, there, you know, there's no like, there's like a power vacuum that I think would give that added sort of like threat. Although it's interesting mm-hmm. that it's kind of like a servant who is like sort of if we want to take that reading, who was kind of insisting on that, you know what I mean? And trying to draw out that, 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 that is a problem, that sort of instability. Well, right. Cause what you're pointing to, I think is that like, there's the house runs perfectly smoothly with only servants there to run it. So it's not like there's some like evil lady of the house telling everybody no. what to do. No, it just runs without, that's the power vacuum. It runs without somebody to sort of like, you know, do do upstairs downstairs mm-hmm. and and part of that is that like they say that peter quint is a valet but to who right yeah right yeah. like why would <laughs> great question why would the valet be at this place you know we like the, the the so like what what is a valet right it's like they're like a the or valet to take the british pronunciation <laughs> no no i i mean hey that's that's that's, that's what english people Jane. would say no it is and i mean that's i insist that we like say marquis and shit like that you know so like, <laughs> but um but a, a nice fillet of beef um no but like uh that uh, like uh, that 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 figure they're basically like they, they you know they're in charge of the, the 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 gentleman's like wardrobe and stuff like that they're kind of like a very they're a very personal sort of servant. Right, um, it's the equivalent of a lady's maid. Yes, that's exactly right. And so, but if he's not there, then what, if the gentleman isn't there, then like, yeah, what the fuck is he doing there, right? Like, uh, and, and that implies that he himself has some kind of close relationship with um, the the Harley Street guy, right? Like, the, yeah, which in and of itself, I think there's, you know, we can, th- we can think, you know, sexual relationship, whatever. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, that's actually what it is. There's a part about it. And I don't know if it's true or not, but it's actually directly said that Peter Quint was sent there because the air was, the air would be better for him in the country. Yes. Yeah. And so that's why he's been sent there. Okay. But he's been sent there by the Harley street gentleman. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so what Tristan was saying, uh, total, yeah, no, totally like, like what what's going on between him and the Harley Street gentleman for sure, and the another reason to be suspicious about that is he says to the governess he keeps saying in this like ten second interview he's met her like so briefly he goes he goes I'm gonna give you total authority right mm-hmm. complete and total authority which is such a fiction and a fantasy to say to somebody go into a situation where people already are and you have total authority because I say so but you can never appeal to my presence in any way because i won't be there right right i'm gonna give you plenty of money to mentally abuse these children yeah yeah correct yeah yeah so the class dynamics are like again this is the this is part of the henry james thing which is like uh they're left to us to figure out and then we're left with this sort of like pile of signifiers right we're kind of kind of going Okay, so even with a lot of conversation, we figured out what's going on here. We have thoughts about what's going on here, and so who? So what does it? What does that do? Like, what does that do for the for our perception of the narrative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's just like well, maybe that's an empty question, and I'm not sort of like saying that that makes Henry James any less interesting. I'm yeah. just saying that it's weird. Yes. 
No, I was just going to say like the, 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 like the class dynamics and the, these like kind of sort of, uh, you know, un- at least at the very least unusual, I think in some cases like cast is like threatening relationships across class lines in this. It just like, it just feels like a very sort of different problem from like trauma psychology, mm. the question of the real, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and like, and that's fine. Like, I mean, not, you know, I mean, there's no reason why a, a novel or like, a, you know, a, a very good novel has to like tie together all of its like kind of conflicts and concerns. But I just like, I, I want to try to, you know, like as a reader, <laughs> I really want to try to bring those together. Right. It's like, and, and, and I, but I don't know. I mean, like I, there, I guess there was like a sort of like, you know, kind of very Marxy kind of thing that like, well, you know, your, you know, your kind of class position and material circumstances, like do color your perception of reality in some ways. Although I, that, that just feels so kind of breezy that I'm not, you know what I mean? Like that just, it's like, okay, well, fine. like if, if I was, if, if a student like wrote that paper for me, I'd be like, that's cool, but you need to support this. And I don't know that I can, you know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> I well I I guess like I guess the only thing I don't know if this actually I don't know if this actually gets at it but it, but maybe we'll we'll give it a try. Um I think the fact I think the setup of the job like this is a story about a, a about employment gone wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> gone no, real is, wrong. Yeah, that's, that's right, yeah. Gone real wrong. And I think that the the connection between the ghosts and the class stuff is actually the it has to do something with the absence of uh the absence of authority even symbolic authority in and when everyone when all the players are being told that the most important thing is authority and that in fact um one person has total authority over over the kids and we don't know what else she has authority over. So we don't have any kind of like, we don't have a horizontal or vertical structure. Mm-hmm. We have a weird power vacuum that accomplishes psychosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not like bring back the king, but but also it's like okay, it's not it's what what the what the guy is doing, what this like rich asshole has set up yeah. is not anything recognizable to anyone, right? Oh man, like so that's like lo- like a logging for like the imposition of authority, like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great or yeah oh sorry <laughs> no i was just gonna say i mean like i don't know but like it, james i mean like it, james kai i don't know like his, I, there's a way in which like his sort of like I, ang- anglophilia sort of suggests you know potentially that kind of like reactionary sort of uh, idea but i i don't know i mean that like yeah that they, it does kind of feel like that to me that that is sort of like a, a central problem for the novel right yeah well, because because he has to give her authority, he has to give her. He has to say he's giving her total authority. He has to he has to fill a bag full of authority and hand it to her, and it it turns out to be a turd and it stinks everything <laughs> yeah. up. But in fact, it's like it's not necessarily like I don't know. It could be reactionary. It could also be like, why did we need to have this? Had we not had this obsession with authority that leads to the, the that is related to the the rich guys need to be absent mm-hmm. we wouldn't ha- maybe we wouldn't have had peter quint seeing this seeing this place where he could jockey um, for power yeah. and maybe we you know we wouldn't have produced this shit yeah that no that's really interesting that's really interesting right because we don't 
get any of the other sort of like uh, downstairs characters as being, you know, like usurping an upper, like another class position. And so it's like he, the Harley Street gentleman, is producing the conditions of, he says, if there's a vacuum, somebody has to step into it, even if it's in the most like fucked up way. And that's why she wants to own the kids, not raise them or care for them because she's been told that what she has is authority. Right. So mm-hmm. what she's not doing is what we think of the governess in the 19th century novel is doing, which is training them. Right. Yeah. Right. She's, she's protecting owning them because they're hers. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Katie, what, what's, what do we have to do to wrap up? Well, it's not what you have to do to wrap up. It's what you get to do to wrap oh, up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just to begin, just to begin, uh, I would like to just take a moment to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to put in your application to be a haunted house governess. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, no, every one of our applicants uh, is important and I'm sure has something to contribute to the world. Not here, obviously, but somewhere. And you, but you two are special. Okay. Because you've been called in for an interview. So you don't oh. have to wish us well on our future endeavors. We, <laughs> we, we actually made, got there. We made the short list. You made the short list. And so I know how much you both really, really, really want this job. Um, yes. It's desperately, desperately, desperately want this job. And, um, you know, I'd just like to ask you a few questions related to that. And, you know, while we're kind of shooting the shit here together casually, uh, if there's anything you want to share with me about, um, you know, uh, personal information, relationships, illnesses, um, just kind of anything that just could come up, uh, you know, maybe like uh, any any holidays you've celebrated recently or, um, <laughs> you know, just just some stuff that... Just uh, you know, just just some things that I can't ask about, but um, relevant or irrelevant that I'd just kind of love to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all relevant. It's all relevant. My life is in your hands. Well, here we go. Um, what we're gonna do here is um, is is a uh, is a behavioral interview. It's a behavioral interview. It's a very special kind, and it's really gonna let me know whether I should hire you to be governess to my haunted niece and nephew. Okay. Excellent. I'll try my best. Which one of you would like to go first? I'll go first. Initiative. Thank you, Megan. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I'm already in the interview. I'd like to ask you um, how you handle uh, things like, like... uh, stressful situations and pressure um, on the job, like maybe if there's a haunting or you can't get in touch with your employer or you think that you um, you know may have seen a ghost or two. So if you if you experience pressure or stress of that kind, can you tell me about a time when you've dealt with something like that and how you've succeeded through it? <laughs> oh yeah, like in my previous job as a governess of a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the best decision I ever made is when I turned it into a full bunker. And so Mm. 
you know, you just make sure you order plenty of velvet curtains and you turn every room into a completely dark space. Uh, yes. You have a dark room so you can do some experimental ghost photography, given that mm. I'm in the 19th century right now. Mm. Um, yes. You just you completely cut off from the world and hang out with your ghosts. You just You just hunker down. So you're all in the folia many together. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do value community in this office environment. We're like a family almost. Oh, that's what I want. I think of my job as a family. Yes. Um, Yes. Everyone is your mom and dad and best friends. Just know that. (laughs) And my siblings. Oh. Yes. Neoliberal mm-hmm. hellscape. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Man, you're not doing well in this interview, Tristan. No, no I uh so hold on, let me get let me get into the interview. So uh the thing that people if you ask any of my previous employers, they'll tell you that I am very cool and level headed. Uh and I deal well in a crisis. So like uh while no specific uh situation comes to mind because frankly, I am pr- very proactive uh and and I I do my best to pr- I, I what I do is I anticipate the crisis, right? Like some people just wait to react. That's not me. I am a go-getter and I I try to think 3, 4, 5, 10 steps ahead all the time. So I've just never dealt with that. In, in any of my uh, child rearing governess occupations, um, and no, I will not be providing you any references. <laughs> so, do you have ghost booby traps just so that if they try to get in, you're like, That's, "You fell into my ghost I, booby trap." I got. I have a proton pack because I watch Ghostbusters. Um, I yeah. So yes, actually, I honestly, I'm going to have to build a nuclear reactor in the basement of your uh, oh. of your haunted mansion so that I can store the ghosts after I nuke them with my plasma ray. That's perfect. <laughs> I've been looking to get into canning and just you know uh, jellies and jams and such, and we could do that with ghosts. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think we can use the whole nuclear reactor system for all kinds of hobbies. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Just, uh, don't let the EPA guy cover up, which I still, I love that the EPA guy is the villain of that movie. It's like, hello, Reagan era, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, well, we've had a lot of fun here today, uh, but, but one thing that I'd like to just really discourage is, is work-life balance. So I don't want to know anything about, about you know, uh, how you balance those two things out. I just want to hear about work, 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 work. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was wondering if, I mean, if, if you related to work, uh, if you could tell me, maybe like, what's your, what's your greatest weakness? Oh God! Uh, oh, my! <laughs> this may be also a strength, <laughs> secretly. My greatest weakness is that I'm a perfectionist. See, I I, I can't <laughs> sleep at night if I think that that job hasn't been done as as good as it could possibly could be. And and yeah, so, sometimes that just you know that uh, I, I don't want to say it ever gets in the way of me doing other things because I I'm a big multitasker as well. But yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm a perfectionist and I I care too much, frankly, about doing a good job for my employer. Uh, yeah, so that that's definitely my greatest weakness. I mean, I think mine is that I just feel too much. I feel too much in general. I think of myself as like a <laughs> profound empath. <laughs> oh, um, so really, I have like an exceptional degree of caretaking, and the problem of that is that sometimes I don't care for myself very well. <laughs> so, like. 
sometimes I just feel really depleted and like my bandwidth is really low or like I don't, you know, always take care of myself as much as I can, but I direct all of my giving feeling to these children and all I do is just give. It does sound like it's it one thing has come across from from both of your answers. You're you're both definitely just you're real you're real givers mm. and not takers. Right. So I know you won't steal my fancy silver or anything like that cuz you just would give give give. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's how jobs are. You just give and you give and you give until until you die and then they hire somebody else. And I just want to say now, for the record, even though you haven't asked, I am not now, nor have I ever been a member of the Communist Party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually had oh, to find something that said that for a fellowship application many years ago. Oh, Jesus oh, Christ. Yeah, because uh, it was a fellowship awful. that had been developed in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, she, sure. And she died, and so there. they hadn't changed the verbiage. It's like, how about, how about DSA? Does that count, you fucking reactionary assholes? But. <laughs> I mean, I hope not, because then I sign something and I'm a liar. Yeah, well. Oh, yeah, heavens. Yeah, would hate, hate a liar and a communist? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a difference, ma'am? <laughs> you can't trust oh. the communists to be communists. <laughs> I just have I just have one more question before I determine who's going to get this job. It's sort of a fun, sort of like a fun, fancy, free one, just to kind of set you at your ease. Um, if you had to describe yourself at work as any animal, <laughs> what animal would it be? Uh, I'm a I'm an ant, you know. Mm. <laughs> I'm just one of many carrying my load. I want nothing else from the world. I just want to go back and forth with my leaves and trouble no one. As an uncle, I appreciate that you're an aunt. <laughs> yes. yes, I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take a page from Sarah Sarah Palin, not dancing to "Baby Got Back," uh, which I don't know if you guys oh, saw that. that hit the internet yesterday um one of the weirdest things i've ever seen um I, i'm a mama grizzly is what i am i'm you know i'm when you put your children oh. in my care i am you know i'm going to protect them at all costs and you know except oh but i don't the bear analogy i'm not russian though right oh, like, i don't right. want you to think that the grizzly because again i told you i'm not a communist so i don't know why you keep asking mm -hmm. me these questions <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> You seem to have certain sympathies, <laughs> but you're a tame grizzly, right? Like that's only yes. with the children. That yes, that's right, that's right. Otherwise, it's I'm both. an eagle. I'm a bald eagle. Otherwise, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to your podcast, and these answers are very suspicious. To me. Uh, oh, because you uh, think otherwise, we're going to be a rat and a snake. <laughs> uh, That's a, you can be a frog and a scorpion any two animals mm -hmm. um uh, okay are you ready to hear who got the job hell yes okay well here's a huge surprise i want to hire you both okay <laughs> cool 
And I think you should just compete to see who does it better for like six or seven months. Yeah. And then the one of you that can't take it anymore will quit. That, That's what that, I figured it would be a battle royal situation. That sounds great. And boss, if you can quit listening. Okay, so Megan, so how are we going to uh, take over this aristocrat's house and expropriate <laughs> uh, their shit? Yeah, I mean, I think that if we they think it's a bunker full of nuclear waste, that it'll yeah. be pretty easy to start yeah. moving stuff out of there. That sounds good. Do you do you want to be in charge of re-educating the children or in charge of stealing the shit? Uh, I I could go either way. So I think I would like to be in charge of radicalizing the staff. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, that. So maybe we can radicalize the staff and then get more. Uh, yeah, cool. I, I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah, we're very excited to take this job. Yeah. So what's the wor- I, I okay? So I can I can listen again. I assume you were you were determining workflow. Yes, workflow exactly. Yes, that's right. synergy. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah, workflow. Make make me up a little org chart if you don't mind. Just kind of tell me who's where on the on the whole. You know, do a chart or a graph or just you know do lines and strings connecting them. <laughs> cool. We'll figure we out everything. That. We will do that, boss. Well, Huge congratulations. This job pays a ton. So cool. <laughs> and we look forward never to seeing you again. Yep. Yeah. Um, th- it's been real. Uh, don't call me ever. <laughs> and I mean that. <laughs> uh, you're the best. Thank you for that. I love, I'm so pleased that I have a new job. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> All right. This has been Better Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tesslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at BetterEdPod and email us at BetterEdPodcast at gmail.com, but only if it's to tell us how you would get a job as a governess in a haunted castle, haunted home. Our intro mm-hmm. music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And next week, we are going to be talking about Richard Wright's Native Son. And then we'll be off for a couple weeks before we return with our three-part Melville Spectacular, Benito Serino, and then two episodes on Moby Dick. We can't wait. Thanks, comrades. <laughs> <laughs>